Hello fellow history nerds and welcome to the Bold Historian Podcast. This is episode 3, Uprisings and Oppression. We rejoin William as he is marching on the city of Exeter, as we discovered in episode 2, a plot centred on the city which was uncovered by William's agents. Before marching on the city, William sent a message demanding their surrender and that its people pay homage and fealty to William, which was refused. This was the first time William raised an army within England as a king. This was a test of loyalty for William's new subjects. Alongside the English levies raised by William were a large number of Norman troops. As William and his host drew near to Exeter, a delegation of the city's leading people rode out to meet the conqueror. They promised to open the city gates to William and his army on the condition that he treated them leniently and with goodwill. They handed over hostages to William as a guarantee they would keep their word. As soon as the delegation were back in the city, they resumed their plotting. It seems their meeting with William was just a ploy to play for time. They were awaiting reinforcements from overseas. In addition, there was not a unanimous consensus amongst the rebels of what they wanted to achieve. Some rebels were willing to come to terms with the conqueror. They rebelled because of an unbearable tax that William had imposed upon them, and they sought a more bearable tax rate. However, the diehards within the rebellion wanted William gone. These diehards were under the influence of the Cochrane family, especially their matriarch, Githa, mother of King Harold. We met Githa in episode 1. After Hastings, she went to the battlefield in an attempt to claim the body of her fallen sons but was bluntly refused by William. Githa's only surviving son, Wolfnoth, was in a Norman prison, and it's easy to see why she was in a rebellious mood despite being allowed to retain her lands. Supporting her were some of Harold's offspring, who would have been in the late teens and early twenties in 1067. So there was a stalemate. William saw the man walls of Exeter, knowing there would be no surrender any time soon. He decided the best course of action would be to blind one of the hostages, that was handed over to him earlier, and this was done in full view of the walls of the city. With this, the rebels were more determined not to surrender, and there followed a brutal siege of Exeter, and this lasted 18 days, with numerous attempts to storm the walls and tunnelling beneath the walls in an attempt to undermine them. After 18 days, the city surrendered to William. There are two reasons put forward to explain the surrender. Firstly, William of Malmesbury suggests the city surrendered following a devastating Norman assault. The English sources, however, point to the desertion of the Godwin faction from the city, and they seem to be the driving force behind the uprising. Their retreat from Exeter meant the less hardened rebels were able to submit to William, thereby negotiating a surrender. It seems the city was able to negotiate a lenient settlement with William. The Godwin faction which was led by Githa contained many wives of notable rebels and they fled to the island of Flat Home in the Bristol Channel, hoping their husbands and sons, who had fled to Ireland following the Battle of Hastings, would soon join them with reinforcements. William spent some time thereafter in southwest England. Construction of a castle was begun at Exeter and he even marched his army into Cornwall, putting down very minor disturbances there. When William was ready to return to London, he made his ally, Brian of Brittany, the Earl of Cornwall. However, the first mention of Brian being Earl of Cornwall was in 1140, by his nephew, Alan. William confiscated the lands of Githa and her supporters. 
the Godwin Heartlands in Sussex were divided up. The main beneficiaries of the redistribution of these lands in Sussex were Roger of Montgomery and William de Warren. Roger was given lands that incorporated Chichester and Arundel and being responsible for their castles. And William de Warren was responsible for lands at Lewis, including the castle. Clearly this was done to secure the lines of communication back to Normandy. William was still attempting to pacify England and the South seemed to be a tad more stable following the rebellion in the South West. And William sought a conciliary settlement up north. We met Earl Copsig in the previous episode. As we saw, he met an untimely end, being decapitated by Oswulf. And then Oswulf was also killed. And now we meet Gospatrick, nephew of Oswulf. Gospatrick lobbied William to be created as Earl of the northern part of Northumbria. In this endeavour, Gospatrick was successful. Another Anglo-Saxon, Melswin, was more or less in charge of Yorkshire. So the earldom of Northumbria was divided. This added to the already simmering tension in Mercia and Northumbria. Morker was seething due to his reduction of power in his earldom of Northumbria. On top of this, his brother, Edwin, Earl of Mercia, was granted authority over Morker. And Edwin also had his gripes. His power in Mercia was also reduced. Two new earldoms were created between the border of Mercia and the Welsh kingdoms. And these earldoms were based at Hereford and Shrewsbury. Essentially, the power of the English nobles was gradually being eroded. This was possibly a tactic of divide and conquer by William to secure peace within England. So Edwin, Morker, Melswin and Gospatrick were now in opposition to William and in a rebellious mood. Also involved in the rebellion was Edgar Atheling, which gave a sort of legitimacy to the uprising. King Malcolm of Scotland also gave his backing to the rebels. In response, William raised an army and marched north. En route, he ordered the construction of several new castles, like at Nottingham, Warwick and York. On the march north, William and his army carried out their usual act of blazing a trail of destruction through the countryside. When William reached Warwick, the brothers Edwin and Morker decided to surrender, and this was a blow to the revolt, as they were the leaders and instigators. And upon arriving at York, the rest of the rebels either surrendered or fled to Scotland. Melswain and Gospatrick fled to unknown parts, and Edgar Atheling went back to Scotland. Before the surrender, the King of Scotland was preparing to raise an army in support of the rebels. But upon William's march north, King Malcolm decided peace was more favourable to war with William. So Malcolm swore fealty to William, accepting him as his overlord. Upon the collapse of the rebellion, William left a large garrison at the Newcastle in York and marched back south, establishing more castles as he went. And these castles were established at Cambridge, Lincoln and Huntingdon. And whilst William was up north dealing with the rebellion, three of King Harold's sons landed on the north coast of Somerset from Ireland. They began raiding and pillaging around the mouth of the River Avon, and then carried on marching along the coast of Somerset until they had fought a victorious battle against local levies. After this, they went on to raid in Devon and Cornwall, and then returned to Ireland. It is unclear if this was intended to be a raiding mission or a part of the failed uprising. The battle with local levies suggests the popularity of the Goblins had waned over the past couple of years. 1068 had been a challenging time for the Normans in England. Many Normans had either decided or were on the verge of quitting England. The continuing violence was clearly taking its toll on both sides. To ensure his men stayed in England, he offered them more land at the expense of English nobles. And this became a vicious circle. 
Rebellion by the English, confiscation of the lands by William, who then passed them on to the Normans. This then caused further tensions by English nobles who had lost their lands, who then raised in rebellion yet again. And this persisted for a number of years. So following the rebellion up north, William was confident that the security of the kingdom was safe for him to travel back to Normandy. At the beginning of 1069, William appointed Robert of Cumin as Earl of Northumbria, and he was possibly of Flemish origin. He arrived in Northumbria with a contingent of between 600 and 900 men. The Northumbrians did not want Robert as Earl, so they decided that they would kill him. The Bishop of Durham rode out to meet Robert before they reached the city of Durham to urge him to stop and turn around. However, Robert decided to continue on. Robert's journey towards Durham was violent, and the violence continued within Durham itself. The morning after Robert and his men entered Durham, the local population burst in through the gates, hell-bent on slaughtering the Flemish. Robert had stayed the night in the bishop's house, and this is where the Flemish made their last stand. Unable to enter the house and being pushed back by the resistance of Robert and his men, the local population simply set fire to the house. Some of them inside the house were burnt to death, whilst others fled the house but were cut down outside. And this sparked yet another northern rebellion. The newer castle built in York in 1068 was subject to attack by the English rebels. Melswin, Gospatrick and Edgar Atheling returned to join this new uprising. The rebels laid siege to York, but the sheriff was able to send a message to the king requesting help. William was most likely back in England at this point, and he quickly mustered an army and rushed north. The march north by William was so quick it surprised the English rebels. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle states that William had an overwhelming army and defeated his enemies, and many were captured, and the city of York suffered immensely at the hands of William and his army. Again, Gospatrick and Melswin fled to parts unknown, and Edgar Atheling went back to Scotland. And once the rebellion was snuffed out, King William left his friend William Fitz Osborne in charge of York, and the conqueror then travelled back south to Winchester to celebrate Easter. There was a renewed attack on York, but that was beaten back by Fitz Osborne and his men. Still, this was not the end of trouble in England. William sent his wife back to Normandy for her safety. The Goldwyn sons returned in the summer of 1069, landing near Barnstable. Again, they were defeated and then fled back to Ireland. Their grandmother then left the island of Flatholm and sailed to Flanders, and there she sailed on to Denmark, her native land. The continuing unrest in England caught the attention of the Danish king. Back in 1066, Tostig attempted to persuade him to challenge for the English throne, but to no avail. However, now the time seemed ripe for a renewed Danish invasion of England. As mentioned in episode 1, the northern part of England, especially Northumbria, has strong ties to Denmark due to many people having some Danish ancestry. Also, as the Anglo-Saxons were a Germanic people, some of them descended from the Jutes, who themselves hailed from the Jutland Peninsula, which is now Denmark. So we can see that the majority of the Anglo-Saxon people had more in common with their Danish cousins than they did the Normans. The Danish King Sven was the cousin of Harold Godwinson and nephew of Githa. Sven's father also fought for Canute the Great during his invasion of England in 1016. And Sven was actually a nephew of Canute. And by the time he did decide to invade England in 1069, he may have harboured ambitions to partially emulate his uncle and restore the North Sea Empire. With a tenuous claim to the throne of England, Sven set about raising an army and fleet 
with which to cross the North Sea and challenge William for the throne. And Sven was able to amass a large fleet and gained allies and men from Poland, Frisia and Saxony. So, with an invasion fleet of between 240 and 300 ships, Sven set sail for England and for a showdown with William the Conqueror. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Bold Historian. Join me in episode 4 as we find out the outcome of the war between Sven and William. And as always, if you want a transcript of the podcast, send me an email to theboldhistorian at gmail.com. And I hope you enjoyed this chapter of the world story. I'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye.